Oklahomans don't like gubernatorial power historically. Uh, our populist way of looking at the world, we're afraid of an executive power. And we also have this idea, and it's not a crazy idea, but I just don't think it works very well in the real world, is that you want professionals running these agencies. You don't want politicians running Welcome to Thinking on Lincoln, the podcast on 13th and Lincoln, talking about things on 23rd and Lincoln. I'm your host, Curtis Sheldon, joined as always by my host, Ryan Haney, and our producer, Lindsay McSparren, who's over there. Um, Ryan, good to see you again. Likewise. Today's your birthday. It is, yeah. Happy birthday. It's a special birthday episode, so it's yeah. all about me today. If only. I know, right? That would be the best episode ever. Instead, we're going to have to settle for like the second best. Right. Which is, we have a special guest. Maybe not, I don't know. Special He's sounds pretty a little special. Bit. He's pretty special, you're right. And uh, Professor Andy Sparopoulos from Oklahoma City Law School. Yeah. Yeah. I, what, is, what is he again? The constitutional law professor? Yeah, he is the Robert uh, S. Kerr right. uh, chair, I think, in constitutional law. Yeah. And the Milton Friedman Distinguished Fellow here at OCPA as well. That's right. So Two very it. distinguished titles. Incredibly. Yeah. Yeah, so this is exciting. Um, and, I mean... Maybe maybe we have such a cool guest because it's your birthday. Probably, yeah. I have that effect on most things. Yeah, you know. So I think it's probably we. Sh- one of the things we've gotten away from is letting people know that they should give us a review of right. the podcast if you like it. If you don't, email Curtis as Please. always. We'll t- yeah, I'll read them. I promise. And we're on a more uh, regular distribution schedule now. That's right. So every other Friday, you'll be getting a new Thinking on Lincoln. Yep. You know, just. Sit around and, and or wake up and check your phone. If it's not there, uh, then email you can me. email Lindsay. Ooh, yes. Um, and uh, but she not should me. she should have them up uh, every other Friday. So that's kind of the schedule we're on, yep. and we're sticking to it. Yeah. And we have video now. Maybe we'll see. We're kind of testing it out. We're gonna see what happens. Yeah. I mean, I I have a face for radio or for for podcasts. Oh, so I guess so you're wearing a tie. It's the nice new way. Today. Thank you. Is that for me? My it birthday? is for your birthday. Yeah. Mm, I do it. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Well, um, is there anything else you want to talk about before we get to our guest? Or probably out of birthday things. So now I think we think we should let them hear Andy. I I agree. Let's go. All right. All right. All right. Curtis and I are joined today by Professor Andy Sparopoulos. The uh, he's a professor at o, at OCU. Do you have a Do you have like a really long? Um, Title yes. you want to give us? Of course. Um, well, I, I can give it to myself, but no, it is, I am the Robert S. Kerr Senior Professor of Constitutional Law. Okay, very good. And also an OCPA fellow. Is there? I am. A, I am the Milton Friedman Distinguished Fellow at OCPA. Robert S. Kerr and Milton Friedman. That's a. Uh, it's an interesting combo. All right. Well, so the reason I want to have well, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast today is you gave uh, a talk at Leadership Exchange Academy, uh, sort of loosely affiliated with the State Chamber. About a month ago, I was there, and I thought the things that you said need to be heard by our audience. Uh, so, essentially, the talk is about why Oklahoma government is totally inefficient and basically why Oklahoma government sucks. Is that fair? that's no, that's a fairly accurate uh, summary of what I have to say. Why don't we start with? I think the mo- maybe the most obvious part is the governor or the executive branch. Right. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. The way that I uh, given this talk for several years now at the Leadership Exchange Academy, my purpose is to do exactly what you just said, uh, which is to give people a reality check on why Oklahoma government uh, is, in, is ineffective. 
And the way that I start to talk out is I talk about the federal government. You know, people complain, certainly in the last week or two, certainly complained uh, with a great cause about how the federal government is ineffective uh, much of the time. But the federal government is ineffective because of the people in it. Uh, the federal government is not ineffective structurally. The, the federal government structure actually works. Say what you want. Joe Biden's in charge. That may be our problem, but he really is in charge, <laughs> right? He really is making the decisions. And, 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 and in fact, what's going on in Afghanistan is a perfect example. Uh, he alone wanted to make a change in policy, and gosh darn it, he, made, he won the office, and that policy was changed. And people are like, well, that makes sense. We have elections, we vote for people, they have certain powers, and then they get to do the things they ran on. Uh, yeah, that's actually a really good idea, a really good system, effective democracy. That's what we, not what we have in Oklahoma. We have elections and nothing happens. Uh, and the reason that uh, that takes place is because the way that things are supposed to work uh, in a democratic system is the legislature is supposed to make the law, uh, and then the government's governor is supposed to uh, put it into effect. Uh, and he or she is supposed to put it into effect uh, the way that he or she thinks it ought to work. Uh, and he or she uh, has the job of making sure that that vision of law, that vision of policy comes alive. Uh, the problem in Oklahoma is that, unlike at the federal government, when you elect a new president, you're going to have all the major cabinet officers removed. All those people who actually do have, uh, make the government work on a day-to-day level, they are now going to be working for Joe Biden. Joe Biden can fire them if they don't do the job. And therefore, on day one in the federal government, policy changes. Department of Education, sad for those of us who like the job that Betsy DeVos did under President Trump, but she was gone. And, and every major initiative that she undertook, uh, which people at OSVA, like me, thought were wonderful initiatives, they're gone now. And the, and the government's going 180 degrees the other way. That's the way it's supposed to work. Uh, that's what happens when you use elections. That doesn't happen in Oklahoma. Why? Well, for one thing, uh, m many of the major departments, including when it comes to state government, the most important department, the Department of Education, is not even run by the governor. It's run by a, sec uh, a separate elected official. I mean, look what's going on right now. Right? We have school districts that are in complete defiance of uh, the legislature. They're just disobeying the law, just flat out. The governor and the attorney general have said, you're disobeying the law. Stop that. Uh, what is it they can do about it? Nothing. Why? Because the person in charge of actually making sure that happens is the superintendent of public instruction, who, while she is a nominal Republican, does not agree with the governor, pretty much anything, right? uh, and refuses to actually carry out the law. Whereas in Florida, where the governor actually does have control, uh, over the Department of Education. In Florida, they're actually going to take money away from those school districts that are defying the same law that's being defied here. That's the way government's supposed to work. It doesn't work that way in Oklahoma. Why? You have a separately uh, elected attorney general where people are saying, wow, the attorney general now and the governor's being on the same page. Well, yeah, that's right, because the elected attorney general resigned. Right. And the governor got to pick somebody right, that, uh, that he actually gets along with. And we're seeing for a very short time, 16 months, how it actually works to have an attorney general that actually functions correctly. Uh, in a government that, that works, like the federal government does. Um, but with Department of Education, forget about it. Right. Uh, insurance, forget about it. Labor, forget about it. The way that I've, I, I've always tried to illustrate this is that once when uh, uh, Governor Fallon was in office, I'm sorry to tell them, but she was in office. And, um, and I once asked, I said, uh, because not much was happening. And I said, what happens when you have a meeting of the cabinet? I don't mean her cabinet. Uh, I mean the people who actually run the departments, like the elected people. When she she has the attorney general and uh, and, and the, you 
superintendent of public instruction, labor commissioner, as well as people she does appoint that, that run a lot of major departments. In Oklahoma, it's actually gotten better. Uh, the governor runs some departments and not others. I said, what happens when they're meeting together? Right? Do they talk together about what the plan is, the plan for moving the state forward? What happens? What kind of discussion? And the people uh, I were talking to who, were in, you know, who had a position to know, they said, it's never happened. She's never even called a meeting. She even, she's never even actually had a meeting with all the heads of the major wow. agencies. Because in her, for her perspective, the guy tried to explain it, because uh, I'm not even sure they asked her. Uh, but his guess was, he goes, why would she bother? Right? And she doesn't have any power over them anyway. I'm like, you still kind of want to talk about it, have a plan. <laughs> you would think. Right, because we're all Republicans at the time. <laughs> you, yeah. But that's my point. My point is, there's no plan. Now, does, does Oklahoma, uh, I think probably obviously more so than maybe states east of the Mississippi, mm -hmm. but uh, those that were sort of settled and, and made states later, do we have more elected officials like mm -hmm. these cabinet members that you're talking about than, than, uh, than most other states? Yeah, we do. Uh, and, 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 and like I said, to be, to be fair to Governor Fallon, she wasn't wrong, right? She really didn't have power uh, over a lot of these uh, officials, in part because some of them were separately elected, and, and again, there was nothing she could do uh, to get them to do what they were supposed to do. But even the other agencies, and again, things have gotten better, but when she was in office, she really didn't have power, right, over a lot of these agencies because of the way that Oklahoma government traditionally works is in the agencies that don't have a separately elected official, they have a board uh, that picks an executive director. There's not, there's not even a real cabinet officer. Uh, and so if Governor Fallon would hear, she would say, I don't have control over that board, and if I don't have control over that board, I don't have control over the executive director, the person who actually runs the agency, what would be the point? I mean, she, you know, she would say, I have some control of the appointments in that board, and I can use them uh, to influence the board. But the way Oklahoma government traditionally works is that you have this independent board. They pick, and the governor often you know, picks those people, but a lot of those people on some of these boards, for example, the, the, uh, the state regions of higher education, those people serve nine-year terms. So you could be a governor and never get even close to a majority on the people who are the, you know, the chief governing board. Right, of higher education in the state. So you have absolutely, you know, again, Governor Fallon would say, uh, what, what can I do right, to affect higher education? They have nine-year terms. Uh, they, they, this person, we've had situations in which we've had important agencies run by, by people who were appointed by governors who were long gone. Uh, and therefore, their policies continued in some sense in place because the person who was elected recently could not Right, get enough of the people on that board so that you can get somebody new. Right, and the, and the vision that the reason we have this is that Oklahomans don't like gubernatorial power historically. Uh, the, our populist way of looking at the world, and we're afraid of an executive power, and we also have this idea, and it's not a crazy idea, but I just don't think it works very well in the real world. Is that you want professionals running these agencies? You don't want politicians running them. You want professionals. People are in the business of doing it. Now, the problem is that I think we know a lot more now than we did 100 years ago about what happens when you get professionals in these agencies. What that means is the special interest groups. That's in that what I was, area run the, run, the, run the policy. Well, that's what I was going to ask because some of these people are elected. So it's not like, uh, well, so for instance, one of the things that's often talked about on the federal level, right, is that the president appoints the heads, but the people who are frustrated with, say, waters of the United States don't elect the head of the EPA. That's right. Um, now, in this case, like superintendent of education is an elected position, right. but 
those positions don't get, obviously don't get the, uh, the the notoriety in the press that some of the other bigger offices get. So how prone are they to capture by special interest groups? Uh, extremely prone. Because as you said, who's going to care about that election? Uh, who's going to donate money? Who's going to recruit candidates to run for that office, right? Uh, particularly the state superintendent of public instruction where there are requirements, right, that you actually have to be part of the public education system. Well, of course it's going to be people, right, uh, who are connected to the interest groups involved in public education. Uh, that's true by definition because of the requirements, and it's also true because who's going to have the interest and the resources, right, right uh, to win that election? Same thing happens in the insurance commissioner race, the labor commissioner race. Well, of course the interest groups, right, uh, uh, they're the only ones who actually even know, right, what the, the jobs, forget about the Corporation Commission, who even knows what the Corporation Commission does? They're an extremely important The oil and gas companies government. do. They sure do, right? <laughs> uh, and the utilities do, right? And so they invest a lot of money, they invest a lot of their own resources in doing this, and they, they actually understand the agency. Whereas most people go to the voting booth and, and don't have any idea, right, right, of what's going on and how those people got on the ballot. To begin with, uh, not, that that doesn't mean we don't get great corporation commissioners. It doesn't mean that we don't get honest labor commissioners and insurance commissioners. But it means we have a structural problem, right? Which means that it's that it's highly likely they are going to have problems. So how do in you running your government? What would do you think is the answer? Just essentially to to bring more of that power back into the executive branch? Would that be right? And I think that, essentially, yeah. And I think one of the reasons that things have improved uh, in the last uh, in, in this administration is because uh, you know, Governor Stead. Uh, uh, ran for office, and he knew that this was a problem. Uh, and so he literally ran, right? Uh, part of his platform was to make this better. Uh, so if he got elected, uh, he he had a mandate uh, from the legislature because it was clear from his campaign that this was a huge priority for, priority for him. And he and the legislature worked very well together the first year. He didn't get everything he wanted, right? But in several of the key agencies, he now can hire and fire. Uh, the person who can run that agency. And that's hugely important. When you look, for example, at the Healthcare Authority, which is one of those agencies, look how important that agency is now. Uh, it's always been, but particularly now with Medicaid expansion, right? Now he's going, he has much more authority now over what's going to happen with that program than, uh, than Governor Fallon did. Right, and while that is a step in the right direction, you see some some caveats there that might spell disaster in the coming Yeah, years. there is a, uh, unfortunately, there's a landmine <laughs> uh, put into that legislation that the, the uh, again, the legislature, uh, uh, yeah, it, look, <laughs> the people who uh, care about Oklahoma and tend to run for office in Oklahoma uh, are, are not surprisingly you know, Oklahomans, right? And they tend to, and particularly if you serve in the legislature, they kind of like, in many ways, the traditional way of looking at Oklahoma government, in which the legislature was really in charge of everything. And so the legislature was a little, uh, a little reluctant. Uh, again, I give them great credit for going as far as they did and strengthening the governor. But the uh, in that legislation, where these are a handful of key agencies, where they gave the governor the power, they also put, they put in the pill the fact that they have the power with a supermajority to remove uh, that, that officer. That is terrible. That is, that, that it, it, I wouldn't say it wasn't worth doing the legislation. Uh, it's working just now, but imagine, right, because uh, one of these agencies is the Department of Health. Imagine if the legislature didn't like the way that the the, the, the the person who runs the health department was managing uh, the, the virus, or the pandemic, right? Uh, and the, that person was doing some things that were controversial that the governor wanted them to do. The legislature now has the power to remove that person, 
right? And what's the supermajority? Well, uh, look, we're going to have, uh, you know, Democrats are going to, at some point, are going to win some more seats, right? They just are, right? We're going to have a closer to a two-party system than we do now. Think about if you had a closely divided legislature, right? Uh, the opposition party would be more than happy to supply, right? A whole portion of that supermajority, right? And then you always have renegades on your side. And so now the governor is now subject to the legislature. Right? Uh, he or she cannot hire the person they want to do their job. And the more that person actually pushes the government's agenda, the more likely the legislature does to fire them. Right? Th this is going to be a, a war uh, that will, if we don't change this uh, before we have uh, uh, more political balance, then what I'm, it's got to happen. It just, it just have, think about what would happen in Washington, right? where they're closely divided. If, if the Republicans could get enough Democrat votes right. to remove cabinet officers, that's what we have. That's what they put into the bill. Uh, and that is that is just a huge, huge mistake. Yeah. Right. So there's there's that poison pill there. The only good news is that it might be unconstitutional. Oh well, there's a good right. chance of that it's unconstitutional. It would if it was federal government, totally unconstitutional, absolutely no doubt. The Supreme Court would strike it down. Uh, Oklahoma Supreme Court eh, eh, can't well, be assured. That's a perfect segue. Um, mm -hmm. So we we talked about the legislative branch, or I'm sorry, the executive branch. Let's pivot to maybe the second most controversial, or or. I don't know the I don't know the right adjective for it, but I'm sure it'll come to me. Problematic. There you go. Yeah, I think the judicial branch uh, organization, particularly the uh, high levels, so the, the Supreme Court, the Court of Criminal Appeals, um, the uh, I think you know in Oklahoma, as in most states, you're going to elect uh, the lower court judges, and it's a nonpartisan election. It's uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, there are always problems with judicial elections, but that's the norm in the states. But in dealing with the, the, the high court, like the Oklahoma Supreme Court, uh, there are, yeah, there are problems built into the structure uh, that make it extremely difficult uh, over time for uh, your government to function well. The way that we do things now uh, is that when you have a vacancy on the Oklahoma Supreme Court, and we've seen this in the, the last uh, uh, few months, the, uh, the Judicial Nominating Commission, uh, which is an, uh, a body made up uh, uh, the large chunk of them are lawyers, not quite half, but a large chunk of them are lawyers, appointed by the Bar Association. Uh, that's a problem in and of itself. And then the governor has some appointees, the legislative heads have some appointees, and so uh, the non-lawyers uh, are supposed to, they just barely uh, outnumber. Uh, but the lawyers have a huge amount of influence. And what I tell people is that, look, if you're in a board of 15 people and seven of them are lawyers, you know, who are you going to listen to, right, if you're the non-lawyer? Members. I mean, yeah, I think you're going to listen to the lawyer. Right? It's, it's, isn't uh, it kind of like the, the folks that run for these sort of specialized mm -hmm. positions? They're, they're right. subject to capture by special interests. Sure. This is one of those issues where, you know, you're talking about appointing judges. Right. It just makes sense, like you're saying, yeah, so, that yeah, lawyer, everyone would defer right. to the lawyers on the. Of course. And lawyers have, an, like everybody else, have an enormous interest uh, in, uh, in terms of their own profession. And, and uh, uh, like any other special interest group, lawyers don't like to think of themselves. As a special group, so they're above that. They're not. I mean, I'm not sorry, not they. We. We right. are not above that. Uh, I include myself in this. Uh, we uh, we have interests too. And the problem here, though, is that if it was a purely advisory, the Judicial Nominating Commission just simply suggested, like the ABA does, American Bar Association does at the federal level, uh, people who the government should uh, the government should nominate. That'd be one thing. But it's but that's not the way it works. The way it works is the you the governor has no choice. But to nominate one of the three people, the Judicial Nominating Commission recommends. If uh, it's just you know, this is going to happen, it's happened in other states. The Judicial Nominating Commission and the governor are at odds, uh, and they don't agree on 
the kind of judges uh, that should be appointed. They send the list of three. The governor looks at the list of three and says, this is completely unacceptable. None of these three people are people I want to appoint. Uh, I, I think they're all terrible. I don't want any of these three. Uh, 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 what's going to happen in Oklahoma? So what happens? One of those three are going to be on the bench. If the governor refuses to appoint one of the three, he or she can't get a new slate. The chief justice of the, of the, of the Oklahoma Supreme Court will appoint one of the three. Uh, think about that. That means they can force right, uh, appointees down the governor's throat. Uh, and so I think, uh, what is the result of this? this? The result of everything we're talking about, the executive branch problems, the judicial branch problems, other problems that we have in our government is Oklahoma government is designed not to change. It is designed for the status quo to remain. It is designed for the special interest groups that benefit from the existing system to continue to benefit from them. And the reason why that happens is because we split the power up so much that there is no way to effectively reform the government. Nobody can run, in, run for office saying, I'm going to change the way things are working because they can't gather enough power the way things are divided. Uh, if you want to change the legal system, right, the Bar Association has enough power through the system I'm describing, right, to be able to stop them. And so we see that result in, in things like overturning a camp on non-economic damages. Right. I think what happens is that you, uh, it becomes extremely difficult, right, to find judges uh, who, who will implement, right, uh, your vision uh, from, from the judicial end. Not, 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 not to say play politics, but to say to be the kind of judge, right? Uh, you, you want a judge who's an originalist. You want a judge who apply, you know, follows the law uh, rather than does policy. It's very, very difficult to do that if you don't have a lot of control over the nominees. Uh, yeah. So the problem I'm describing is, is it can be fixed uh, you know, most straightforwardly by saying, let the governor just reject the slate, right, and then come up with another three. And then at some point, right, that gives the governor at least some control over this. But the, I want to point out, though, this is one instance, though, where in the last, uh, during this administration, things have gotten better. Again, the, the governor and the legislature have identified this problem, and they've actually made things better. It used to be that all nine justices from the Oklahoma Supreme Court had to come from districts, and they've now set a, a, a large percentage of the court as being at-large seats, uh, which, is, which is great, because they were areas of the state where it was extremely difficult, for example, for a Republican governor to find a conservative judge. Uh, and so now uh, the... Uh, uh, the the entire uh, state is now open uh, yeah. for several of these positions. That's a huge change, and will and will help, I think, greatly in the future. But both parties. This is not a partisan issue, right? Right. Uh, it's going to expand the pool for who can serve on the court. I, I won't name any names, but when when the legislature was debating this, I went to my uh, one of my elected representatives at the time in the legislature, and I was living in an area where that elected official was a Democrat, and sh and this person opposed that. And I said, and I, I've been given this legislative grief on Twitter about it and um, ran into them at, at a neighborhood function and said, hey, I'm Ryan. And, oh, yeah, you're the one who gives me grief about the, the judicial districts. I said, yeah. And she said, well, I, I just, I'm concerned about rural representation on the court, to which I'm like, well, A, like you don't represent, like we live in, the most urban part of Oklahoma City. <laughs> you, you don't represent rural Oklahomans. And number two, rural representation is more than adequate in the legislature, and that's where their representation, quote-unquote, rightly belongs, right? Judges are there to call balls and strikes. It, it, and, judges are not a representative body. Right. <laughs> right. Judges are supposed to be the very best lawyers we can find. Uh, and one of the examples uh, that I give in the speech 
and I talk about, we look at the Supreme Court of the United States, right? How narrow, right, a, gr uh, a, a group, I mean, how, how narrow part of the population they come from. Yeah, you know, Justice Scalia actually was complaining about this. He wasn't quite on the rural side, but he was, uh, he was, making, he was this populist. Uh, uh, part of his nature was coming to the uh, fore when he's complaining in opinion about how the court uh, you know, didn't, you know, didn't necessarily take into account all the views of America. And he said, he goes, at the time, including him, he said, four of us are from New York City, right? Uh, yeah, so, uh, well, uh, you, know, you think that sounds crazy, but it makes sense, right? If, if, if a high percentage of the best lawyers in the country happen to come from New York City, that's who you want in the court. But my favorite example, right, <laughs> of how different the Supreme Court of the United States is, which we, I think most of us acknowledge, whether we like their opinions or not, those people are really smart people. Sure. From both sides. They're really, they, they really are among the most able lawyers, right? Uh, President Trump uh, had you know, three uh, nominees get confirmed on the court, right? Here's, here's how, how unrepresentative the Supreme Court is. Two of three President of Trump's nominees went to the same high school. <laughs> I mean, we can't even diversify the high school, right? That they went to. This is how small and elite, right? We draw from. Now I'm not saying we need to get everybody from you know uh, checks uh, to be on the uh, the Oklahoma Supreme Court, but I am saying, you know, two thirds of the people live in Oklahoma City and Tulsa. Pretty much every major law firm is in Oklahoma City and Tulsa. You know, your best lawyers are probably in Oklahoma City and Tulsa, just because that's where the businesses are. They probably should have more than one judge apiece on the court. Right. That right. comes from Oklahoma City and Tulsa. And so right. and so now right. if I'm if I'm still thinking about this right, with there there are now five districts and then four at large Correct. Is that right? Right. So you could have as you know, as many as six, right, from Oklahoma City and Tulsa. And that's what your correspondent was complaining about. Right. Right. We're just not gonna have somebody in uh, the X part of the state. And my, my and my answer to that is that look, don't we want the best lawyers? Right. Right. Because this is not the legislature. The, the, the judges are supposed to decide based on the law. They're not supposed to say, I'm going to decide this case because I'm from Western Oklahoma. Right. That's not the way the law works. It, it reminds me of a story. I think, I think it's apocryphal, but I don't know. I, I hope it's not. But it said that Justice Scalia had like a stamp on his desk that said stupid but constitutional. He said that he'd give a speech and he would say that. He wished he had a stamp. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. So that's, that's, so that's right. not... That's no, not but no, it's a true story. That, that, so you would talk about that all the time. Okay, so, but the idea... I, I bet you, I, I'd be surprised someone didn't make the stamp for him. I, I, <laughs> I, I would think a clerk would have done that. Exactly. Um, but in any, in any event, you were talking about a lot, judges allowing, um, you know, the vision to, to work itself out. And I think that's that's essentially what you're getting at, right? Is is that they're not getting into the policy, they're not deciding on policy. It's like, I don't like this policy, but that doesn't matter. The legislature is given the ability to enact that policy, right. and it's not our job to say, well, we think that that's bad policy. Well, and, and, I, and I, I'm trying very hard here, because, uh, you know, first and foremost, I'm a constitutional law professor. Right. And, the, and that is, uh, and while I have a deep interest as a you know, citizen, in public policy, when it comes to law, right? I want to make this. Uh, I want our system to work as a nonpartisan way as possible. And what I'm saying, and this is be true for Democrats or Republicans, is that uh, my overriding message today: elections should matter, right? If Republicans win a bunch of elections in a row, and Democrats win a bunch of elections in a row, that ought to affect the entire government, because what that means is, is the people of the state of Oklahoma want a certain direction. It just so happens that recently they want a direction. Right, that goes into the conservative uh, uh, you know, policy direction. Uh, that means that we should have, uh, uh, and, and that includes right a certain amount of judging, right? Not political judging, but conservatives believe right that judges ought to be deferential, right? So I'll see. That means we ought to have judges who do that, 
right? And so you need to look at your system. If your system is not reflecting elections, whether it be Democrats winning or Republicans winning, right? Uh, then that's that's a problem. G President Biden is now filling the judiciary. My students are, yes, my conservative students are very concerned. Uh, he's filling the judiciary with people from the left. Like, yes, that's exactly what it means. Uh, he needs to do that uh, because that's what it means when you win elections. Don't lose them, right? If you're concerned, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, but uh, in Oklahoma, you know, I get one of the examples I have is that. Uh, about why the system doesn't work as well as the federal system does. When Governor Henry uh, was leaving office, Governor Fallon had already been elected. Uh, she was governor-elect. Literally on his way out, Governor Henry, like the last month, got to pick a Supreme Court justice. That never would have happened under the federal system. right? Because uh, the, uh, the Republicans had won the legislature, they would have, because in the, in the federal system, the Senate has to confirm oh, right. that person. right? Remember, there's no Senate confirmation. It would have been it would have been 2016 all over exactly. again. It would have been exactly uh, the Scalia seat exactly. But Governor Henry was able to get through the GNC, right? Uh, the literally as uh, he, he, on his way out of office, was able to fill that seat. Uh, I don't blame Governor Henry for doing that. I, I, I wish he hadn't. I don't. I, I, I kind of wish he deferred uh, on his own to you know the people who chose in the other party and. I don't, but you know, I think he would have said, but you know, seats open, and you know, I get, I'm still here, and I get to choose. Uh, I'm troubled by that, but in Washington, it never would happen if you had Senate, right? The other party, right? And that's my point. My point is, is that here's a situation in which uh, you have a party, in this case, Democratic Party. It's not partisan, right? But they've just been thrown out of the entire government, right? Basically. The elections, right? Uh, the, look, that's 2010, right? For the Republicans, take everything for the first time, and on their way out. Right, they get to put somebody in office, right? Uh, that yeah, it's going to hold back, uh, right? Arguably, no different than what John Adams did with John Marshall. Right? <laughs> uh, again, Governor Harry had the power to do it, mm -hmm. uh, but my point is, yeah, that's kind of a problem now, right? Uh, it, it would be better if the if the party who held the Senate was able to stop it. Right. There's a recent example you wrote about with OU deciding to leave to go to the SEC that I want to ask you about, where sure. you talk about the way the way things are structured. You argued that. The people who had the most interest in leaving, ordering a public institution to leave, may not have been the best interest for the entire state. But right. those who were making the decisions were the ones who had the this, maybe the most narrow interest. Right. I mean, this was this, this wasn't even made by the state board of higher uh, the, the regents for higher education, the, the the coordinating board at the state level. This decision was made by the board of regents at OU. I mean, literally, their only interest is OU. Right. Uh, and again, I think you can make a very good argument that for OU, right, they made the right decision looking at OU's interests separately. Right. My point was is that shouldn't it be shouldn't this decision have been made by somebody, right, who would have weighed other interests other than OU's interests, right? That would have weighed not not just OSU's interests but the entire system's interests, the state's interests, right? Uh, and uh, to me, that's a structural problem, right? When you have really important decisions that affect lots of people, right, then all those people, their interests need to be considered. And I'm sure the other people said, well, we, we thought about it. Like, really? I mean, uh, because I'm surprised if you did, because your job is to look out for OU, right? And even if you said, well, at the end of the day, OSU, you know, they'll just, they'll be okay, right? But they'll be okay may not be good for the state, right? Right. And someone might, you know, for example, it turns out now, right, that, uh, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the Pac-12, right, Seems to be open, right, to mm -hmm. to negotiate to get new people in. Well, so, so someone in that room could have said, "Shouldn't we just go to them first 
and see if they'll take us, the two of us together, uh, because that's what would have done that. That's what they were thinking about the last time, uh, right? And that maybe it's not as much money as the SEC, but maybe it's viable, and maybe overall that's the best move. I'm not saying that's the right answer. I'm saying somebody should be thinking about that, right? Uh, put the power to make the decision, right? To be able to balance that, but. Uh, yeah, and we actually know now, I saw in the paper last week, which I, I maybe people were aware of it before, I didn't know that, is that originally, uh, when the SEC wanted Texas years ago, uh, the reason Texas didn't go is that Texas said, we can't go without Texas A&M. Right? right. So this idea that, you know, the two the two major state schools have to, you know, want to stay together and work together, this is not a crazy idea. This was the norm, right? Not right. that long ago. And it's not to say that the, like, at the end of the day, the, the decision may have been the right one. Sure. But... I think the reason so many people were upset was because it was the way it was handled. It was just so behind closed doors, no one saw it coming, and then all of a sudden, here we are, and left to you. You make a hard decision. You can't know. You can't have confidence that you made the right decision until all the people are affected together. You work it through. You talk about it, and you say, "Look, on balance, this is the best thing we can do." And what I'm saying is that because of the structure of our government, it, it was impossible for that to happen. Literally, oh, you could not let anybody else with anybody as interested into that room. Otherwise, the whole thing would have blown up. Right. And when you do that, there's no way to take into account. Literally no way to take into account people's interests. Hmm. Well, so is the, we've talked about the executive branch, the judicial branch. Mm-hmm. Is, is there anything messed up about the uh, legislative branch in Oklahoma? Or is it is it working pretty much the way it ought and as think, efficiently as it could? Yeah, I, I think that in terms of power, the legislature has all the power that it could possibly want to govern. And it's not just what's in the Constitution, you know, obviously the power to make laws and to deal with money and tax and spend are obviously the highest powers that we have. Is that also, and this is something we, you know, we've already talked about, the executive branch. You can't just look at the Constitution, you have to look at the way our government traditionally works. In Oklahoma, adding to the Constitution is the fact that our legislature has always been very leader-driven. Uh, the Speaker and the President pro tem, right, uh, have, uh, as long as they have, you know, their caucus supports them, obviously, they have absolute power to run the system. This is not, uh, they remove the committee chairs, put them in, they, uh, uh, they have uh, control over the floor, control of the agenda. So, uh, now some people don't like that, I do. I think it's a good idea to have people, uh, I, I like it when systems can be run. Uh, can be fact, so uh, so uh, structurally, the Oklahoma legislature is the one branch where the leaders do have the, have the power to do it. The problem with the Oklahoma legislature, right, uh, comes from another feature of the Oklahoma government. Uh, the power of the people, right, to make changes right. in the Constitution. So the, I think if you talk to most legislators now, uh, they would say, yeah, Sparopolis, all that is true what you're saying in theory about running things, but you don't understand, for example, how term limits, right, uh-huh. make it impossible mm-hmm. for us. Uh, wait, what, what, what do I have to offer somebody, mm-hmm. right, when we're all going to be gone I think uh, I, in 12 years? I think I told you on the way over here that uh, we had Rick Farmer on last week. He gave us his thesis on why he thinks term limits are good. And and you and Rick worked together, right? At we the did. House? We both worked together at the House. Okay. Yeah, right. And so you guys probably yeah, had this conversation. Um, but so he, he lied he laid out why he thinks term limits are good. Why don't you why don't you tell us well, why I, you yeah, think I they're think, I think Rick and I would both say that we didn't know how things were gonna work because when uh, uh, because Rick and I both came in uh, when the Republicans won for the first time and uh, you know, getting Rick was a great coup. It's a terrific political scientist to have him come in and run the committee staff. It's a fantastic thing for a team to have done. Less of a good man. Uh, but, uh, but the two of us together, I think Rick and I, I don't put words in Rick's mouth, but we didn't know how term limits were going to work because they had just kicked in. They were the reasons why Republicans had won. 
Uh, and so uh, it really was, when we both came in, it was the first time that we saw, right, what turbulence we could do. And if you had asked me that when I, when I came to work in government at the time, I would have said, I'm ambivalent, I'm not sure about how, and I'm still ambivalent. I, I do see the advantages of turbulence. I do think we have uh, a wider range of people from different professions uh, uh, in the legislature than we did before. Uh, but the but I think we didn't know what effect it would have on other areas. It has made it extremely difficult, for example, for people to become skilled in the legislature. We're picking speakers literally a term or two uh, uh, when they're in. How do we know they're going to do a good job? They've just got here, right? And so uh, it is, uh, uh, what we're seeing are the positives and the negatives. And, and for me, what I'm seeing is the biggest negative is, is that there is, it is very difficult, even if you have a good leader, to get people to follow if there's no incentive for those people to follow. It used to be, you said, you would tell somebody, if you go along, if you, you know, help our agenda get through, you're going to get this key, key committee post, and you'll be there for a long time. And that's a huge incentive to do that. But now the person says, what do you, what, what you know, so I'm there for four years? Well, you know, I'd rather do something, I'd rather do a deal right. Right, for an interest group, because yeah, I need a job in four years. And, and that person might give me a job as a lobbyist, right? So uh, I'm not going to do what the, what the caucus wants. I'm going to do what they want. Then no one ever tells you that, but you suspect mm. that that's what's going on. And how do we know this? Look how many of them have become lobbyists <laughs> <laughs> when they left. Yeah, right. It really is fascinating. Oh, absolutely. Take a look. And we didn't know that. I didn't do, and to be fair to Rick, I don't think we knew. Right. We suspected that might happen. But it's one thing to suspect things and other things to actually see them happen. That doesn't mean there aren't good things about Charles. Okay. It just means it, ca it causes problems, and that uh, th that does make the legislature less effective than it would be without them. They, that may be a price worth paying for term loans. Mm -hmm. I think most Oklahomans would say yes, right? Uh, and I think I don't think anyone's talking about getting rid of them entirely. I think ours are very short, so maybe they just need to be longer. Maybe you need to be able to serve longer. That, that way you get more experience, experience and expertise. Right. So I think it's yeah. important to point out something you've been saying. I mean, none of this is partisan, right? So for people no, who, who may be pro-limited government, right, they hear these things like separation of powers and term limits and assume that those are a good thing because they limit what government can do. But what you're saying is, well, yes, it limits it, but it almost makes it ineffectual. No, it no longer works, which right. is whether or not you're a limited government or not, you want the government to work well right? to be uh, effective. I'm in favor of limited government, not a net government. Right. There, yeah. But a lot of people, I agree with you, confuse those two. Right. Yeah. I think that if it's uh, if hamstring the government, it's all good. I'm like, really? You don't want to do some stuff uh, while you're there? Right. Yeah. And I think you've said it a couple times. It struck me that wh where I found where I found you and I maybe disagreeing uh, on on things were because maybe I wasn't where I wasn't where you were on your premise, which is elections should matter, right? Which is, I mean, I think to your credit, a very uh, nonpartisan approach, right? That's just like whatever we decide, like that should be like that person's vision or that party's vision is where we should go. Well, that's a fair. That's a fair summary of what I believe. That's exactly right. Yeah, and I, I and I think probably where where that's difficult is, I, at least in my mind, one party wants to go in a way that I, I think is probably just unlawful in a lot of ways, especially especially on the federal government level. That doesn't mean that the judges shouldn't apply the constitution. I I, uh, I think that they should, uh, and and there are. I mean, we do have rights. Right. And rights are built. I agree with you. They are built into the Constitution, and everyone does. That's not a partisan matter, right? Uh, everyone should uh, you know, 
should have to obey the, the rules because democracy only works when we don't when we have confidence that if we lose an election, the world's not going to come to an end. When people start to believe that their rights are at risk because the other side has won, then no one's going to no one's going to let the other side win. Right, and that, you kind of said, I mean, that you're seeing that now, that that fear is obviously very real for some people, which right. is unfortunate. And a lot of that comes to just a lack of trust in who were, I mean, all ears on both sides, really. It's that's just a lack a, of trust that's there. exactly now. right. And I think a lot, some of the lack of trust is what Ryan's talking about, is that government has abused its authority, has taken away people's rights, and that is serious, and that needs to be redressed. Uh, and, and I think that's right. But I also think some of the lack of trust that we're seeing is because government is incompetent. <laughs> right, right. Government has not been able to do and it's not necessarily the people's fault in government. Again, I, I'll go back to what I said about Governor Powell. I think Governor Powell would say, if she had a chance, say, I didn't have the same power, right, that Governor Stitt has, right, to be able to make some of these things happen. If I had it, I would might have used it differently. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, that's something to consider. Right, that's, yeah, that's a good point. Um, a question that we received whenever, uh, whenever you gave this talk at LEA was about sort of the founders' intent. Like this is the way the founders intended it. They intended for um, a limited executive. Uh, like you said, maybe maybe it's sort of in in the water here in Oklahoma. We're very skeptical of the executive power. Right. What what say you about that? Yeah, I think that the the founders of the state of Oklahoma and the founders of the United States had completely different views on what the government should do. Uh, and uh, and the founders of the state of Oklahoma were reacting to the founders of the government of the United States. Uh, yeah, the Falvo Bill Murray, right, believed that James Madison was wrong uh, about how James Madison wanted the government to be structured. I think uh, uh, that he, you know, uh, he looked at, uh, you know, Matt, Madison, for example, says in the Federalist Papers that, wow, it's really, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, one of the best things about our government is that people have no direct role whatsoever, <laughs> right? Uh, that's quite the opposite, right, of mo most Oklahomans. Most Oklahomans want the people to have a direct role because James Madison believed the people are not to be trusted. Right, you need to filter the popular view right through a group of representatives and elites. Right, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna be cautious and, uh, and, and and try to you know sort of hold back what people want. Uh, and the founders of the state of Oklahoma said, no, that is not what we want. We want the people to directly govern. We want them to have the power, right, to actually make laws themselves. And the founders of the United States said, well, that's just crazy, right? Uh, that's a bad idea, right? Uh, that's why you have people in government uh, on the executive branch, the other way around, right? The, uh, the, the the people, maybe not Madison, but the other people, right, like Hamilton and James Wilson, who, found, or, you know, who helped to design the Constitution. They wanted a strong president. They wanted George Washington uh, to have enough power to govern. Uh, so they, they uh, and we didn't have that, right? That was one of the corrections that we made for our previous government. So they put in the, the government we talked about earlier, right, where the president really has real power to make things happen. Uh, the founders of the state of Oklahoma said, yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're nervous about that. We don't want people who get elected to have that much power because we think the people who get elected are going to be people with the tools of the corporation. So what we want to do is we want to divide power. That's why we have. A, that's why they have the corporation, right? We want to have an elected body. So they corrected uh, tons of elected officials. The labor insurance commissioner. That that's just the remnants. There were many more uh, than that. These mine inspectors. I mean, they elected a bunch of because they think the people need to be voting all the time. And Oklahoma, we vote all the time. Have you noticed that? We're yeah. constantly. Well, I'm sorry. We're supposed to vote all the time, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's right. better way to put it. Uh, because uh, you know, because that's the way it's designed. Right? People are supposed to be in control all the time. Uh, but here's what the founders of the state of Oklahoma they, they thought maybe thought too much of us, right? They thought we'd be interested in all these things, and we would like be willing to leave Netflix uh, to go vote. And it turns out we're not. Yeah. So then, who wins the school board elections? Right, the ones who are the most interested in what happens. Exactly. Right. 
And so the, the result of what the founders of State of Oklahoma wanted is exactly the opposite of what they planned for. They did it to stop central interest groups. Instead, they empowered them. Right. It reminds Why? me of... Because they weren't very good at the <laughs> Constitution. Yeah, it reminds like, me of something. James Madison was better. Yeah, that's where I was hoping you'd go because you posed the question back at, at LEA. You know, who would you rather have draft your uh, your your form of government, James Madison or Alfredo Murray? Right. And the amazing thing is that this was known at the time, right? Uh, Teddy Roosevelt almost didn't sign the, the State of Proclamation because the Constitution was so terrible. I mean, he looked at it and goes, "This is not going to work." And the people at the time, right? The only person I was uh, have fun with my students. The only person who really liked it was William Jennings Bryan. They should have told you something, right? Uh, only the most populous people because. Uh, you know, people in you know, Oklahoma is like, you know, we're, you know, we're, you know, we're a new state, so maybe we're kind of behind the times. Oh, no, no, no. The government of the state of Oklahoma did every modern progressive populist gizmo you could find. Alfred Murray did a lot of, you know, he did a lot of work, a lot of research, and he threw everything in there. We got it all. Every single thing that they could think of in the late 19th, early 20th century about, you know, uh, initiative petitions, referendum, we got them all, baby. Uh, and, uh, and of course, they didn't know how any of them were going to work. And a lot of them, you know, uh, as, as in many things, right, had the exact opposite effect. They just simply backfired, right, and empowered the very people they wanted to stop. Um, and so, uh, yeah, look, we learn stuff over time. Uh, but what's amazing is that people thinking of Oklahoma as being new, our constitution is actually one of the oldest among the states. Because on top of everything else, right, we've made it extremely difficult to be able to amend right. the Oklahoma constitution. And that's a long story. That the Supreme Court made a right. decision. We might have uh, to have you back. Yeah, to thirty talk years about ago, when they yeah. screwed everything up, uh, and how to amend it. So, so we have this mess, and it's it, it, and what we ought to do is write a new one, right? But uh, at least parts of it. <laughs> sure. Uh, it's that, kind of statewide constitutional convention. Yeah. But for, yeah well, one of those. One of those <laughs> things we're supposed to have. That we're supposed to have. Right? We're required to have it, and we're just like ignoring that. Uh -huh. uh, but no, no, no. We, we should be able to amend the Constitution by amendment. But it, it's a long story. Uh, and uh, and a very sad one. That's, that's like the worst part. I, 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 that's so depressing. I even leave that one uh, <laughs> of the speech. Yeah, it would be unfortunate to maybe leave off on a depressing note, but we would love to have you back certainly. Um, so you you teach at OCU School of Law, so you're you're sort of disinterested in the in in state rivalries. But if if you, if you, if you, if you turn on the tube and OU and OSU are playing, who do you root for? Uh, I have OU tickets, so uh, all right football, so. That's like uh, that's man, like that's I like know. four and zero, Curtis. It's, we're struggling over here. But. Uh, yeah, so you know, uh, maybe one day. Yeah, but you know, I, look, I I, am, uh, I uh, root for uh, root for OSU if they're not playing OU. Yeah, well, uh, sure. I'll take it. Uh. You, as a little foreshadowing, I think our next guest will be Ryan Walters, Secretary mm -hmm. of Education. So right. there, you can always hope for him. But yeah, fingers crossed. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, yeah, Professor. Thanks so much. Thank you guys for having me.